welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you, Scott, for getting together with me sure. um, for this conversation. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing pretty good, too. Well, we'll start off with an introduction of yourself. You're my pastor, mm-hmm. the pastor at Rockport Baptist Church, and you're from Arkansas. You, you live right. up here with a family. Go ahead. You're... Well, I've got, grew, grew up in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay. And then um, my wife and I married and went to uh, Fort Worth, Texas for a while, uh, where I was in seminary, and then came to Missouri. So we're, we're transplants. Okay. And... The way I see you is like very, you know, gifted as a pastor, mm. meaning someone who gives care and oversight and um, spiritual counseling and leading of a church congregation. I appreciate that. And I've appreciated um, you in my life at different mm. times and just the shepherding type of care that, that you've given. And I guess the word past pastor is related to being a shepherd. Is that right? Right. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Right. And, and it's been a joy since we, because we've been there a long time and you guys have been at Rockport a long time now. You know, one of the things that's really cool about that is like getting to watch all of your children grow up. Yeah. You know, uh, some added after we, um, after you guys came, but uh, just, right. just watching them, that's, I mean, I just, that's one of the thrills of my life is, you know, you guys and others in the church that we've gotten to watch these little children become you know, adults and kids of their own. That is, that's a, that's a, that's an awesome privilege. Yeah. And you've been there for a long time. Many pastors um, are at a church for just a few years and then they go on and it's kind of like a career progression, I suppose, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, I'm, I've said before, I'm fortunate. um, The church I was at, before coming to Rockport, I was there for 10 years. It was the same pastor the entire mm-hmm. time. Now coming to Rockport, I guess we've been there 18 years, perhaps? Right, and I've been at Rockport 29 years. So. 29 years, yeah. Wow. Well, how else would you introduce yourself as far as just saying, like, who you are as a person? Mm-hmm. Like, how would you say that? Sure. Um, I guess I would root it um, in... You know, family connections and relationships. So, mm-hmm. you know, so the, the son of Sam and Lorraine Lee from Fort Smith, Arkansas, mm-hmm. and um, the privilege um, to have had um, parents who, um, you know, intact, you know, had their troubles like all couples will, but stayed together, you know, had that commitment. You know, privileged to have a father who was very, very involved in my life. And, um, you know, from a kid's perspective, both good and bad, good in that he was there helping me bad with air quotes because it means when I got out of line, um, he was never far behind. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, faithful discipline, all those things, which I look back as such a rich heritage now, mm-hmm. especially as I, as I engage with people, do counseling with people, and realize what a train wreck a home life can be and the, the deficit and the harm that brings and just that has to be overcome. And so uh, nobody's home life is perfect, but, but we were privileged to be in a situation where I, there weren't a lot of deficits that I had to overcome, mm-hmm. you know, and so, so many good memories. And then, uh, you know, husband of Amy Lee, and uh, we've been married since uh, 1984, so, you know, do the math there. And then the father of uh, two children, Stephanie uh, and Kimberly, and then uh, father-in-law to Tim now, uh, son-in-law that I dearly love. And... Four grandchildren, so I'm way behind you now. But uh, but I got four, um, all through that. And uh, Kimberly uh, is our other daughter, and uh, you know just loves. They're both following the Lord, and so that. And then Pastor of Rockport Baptist Church, you know, that's didn't expect to be there this long. We actually came to Rockport thinking we'd be there just for a few years. Uh, we were mission volunteers. And the Lord, through just a long series of providence, kept us there, kept us there. And then we, uh, you know, fell in love with, with the pastoral calling, which I didn't know much about or have that great a love for going in, but it kind of grew as we went. Mm-hmm. Mission volunteers, um, 
That wasn't what brought you the, to Rockport, though, right? Well, back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, the, the International Mission Board, and that's who we were uh, going to serve at that time, required a minimum of two years pastoral oh, experience. Okay. And so I probably never would have pastored without that requirement. Okay. And um, they, they've changed a lot that they do now. Back then, it was almost a situation where it would be easy to just use a church, come get your two years, and move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went in with the conviction that we couldn't do that. And so we were up front from the beginning. We're mission volunteers. I remember Kurt Bame was on the mission. was on our team that we talked to, right? Mm-hmm. I remember telling him, you know, we, we won't be here forever, but we're not just going to use you and leave. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, we have been there forever. So, <laughs> You know, what's interesting is when saying who you are, like who Scott Lee is, you start talking about your family. And I was talking with a Brad was just two or three weeks ago and he was telling me about an African proverb and it's a a person is a person because of people Hmm. and basically the point of it is we're made to be connected with one another Mm -hmm. and that's how we function and live so if you want to say who am I you know you almost have to say well who am I within my family and community and so forth, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know who I would be beside those relationships. And of course, at the center is Christ. And, you know, yeah. but then again, that's a person in a relationship. Right. Yeah. One thing I was wanting to ask you about when we got together, because our, you communicate clearly and I, and I respect your opinion, was uh, right now we're in the midst of um, racial tension. Mm. I was just on my way over here listening to um, Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro speak and uh, just thinking well Ben Shapiro really is knowledgeable on data and uh, even has solutions and things that would really help but it's um, you know more than just data and solutions there's a lot of emotional stuff going on and everything in this but um, what are your um, how do you see the situation or uh, for example to me um, it's a little bit like I, I sometimes I feel like I, I don't get it like the outrage concerning racism mm-hmm. um, because I didn't you know I, of, of course I figured well there's racism here or there among individuals but I didn't think of our society as being racist mm-hmm. in general or unfair and laws or you know that type of thing um and i didn't but the outrage seems to imply like there's this huge um problem you know so from your perspective Hmm. how would you um how do you see things and what do you think about it sure that's that's a very very broad question of course yeah and and incredibly complex Mm -hmm. and you're right it's it's a little hard for me um sitting out here in arnold um arnold uh is a a uh, fairly monochromic, you know, um, area. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's largely, um, you know, middle middle to lower middle class, largely Caucasian. Um, but but we are we are attached to St. Louis, very different than anywhere I've lived before. But we've been here a long time now. Um, when we were in inner city Fort Worth, you know, it was uh, it was it was a very diverse area that we were in, and that was one of the things we actually struggled with moving here was, did we really want our daughters to be in a place? It, it was cool in Fort Worth. I mean, they had, you know, little playmates. Well, Stephanie Kim was so young. Had were, you know, Hispanic and black, and, and they didn't even realize, you know, anything, mm-hmm. you know. And then we moved here, and goodness, they could go for months and not see someone, you know, uh, of a different, different ethnicity unless we went up into the city, mm-hmm. um, which we do a lot anyway. So how do I see it overall? Um I see it as a very complex issue. I see a lot of the rage and anger um, from the fact that there have been a lot of injustices. I also see it being stirred up politically um, by a lot of theories, you know, that that people hold. And once you get a theory stuck in your head, it, it sort of colors everything you see. So you've got the, you know, the whole broad topic of you know, critical theories and and how that feeds into this and how people's perspective is. But uh, at the bottom of it, there is a lot of um, a lot of brokenness, right? And, and, and the, the reality of this world, biblically, is that it, it, it is broken by sin. And that sin manifests itself in a lot of ways. And one of the ways it manifests itself is racism. Um, 
I don't. And so is there such a thing as structural racism? Well, there is um, things that are just built in. But to say that we are a racist nation uh, and to say that there is this this major structure that has to be torn down entirely and rebuilt uh, is more in keeping with a particular theory uh, that is uh, being imposed than, than with reality. Um, so where I try to bring it down personally is, is, first of all, just beginning my own personal life, to treat each person um, with dignity and respect, um, regardless of their race, to recognize that I have black brothers uh, and sisters who can, can speak of a lot of pain and suffering that I really don't know about, mm-hmm. you know, that I've never experienced myself. I, you know, I got my first taste of that. I, I grew up, like I said, in Fort Smith, and I was on the north side. You know, nothing about Fort Smith, Arkansas, but the south side was the uh, largely upper-class white area. The north side was the racially, more racially diverse uh, middle-class area. And so, like in my high school, uh, you know, it was very diverse. I played football. Half my team was black, you know, in the band. And I really, naively, at that point, thought, well, racism's a thing of the past. Back in my father's generation, it, it didn't exist. Then I went to Arkansas Tech University, which was um, very, very white and very few minority students, and um, still didn't really pay attention. Although I'd hear some of my um, classmates and our, 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 you know fellow students say things that I thought, well, gosh, where'd that come from? Hmm. And then I was on a Baptist Student Union worship team. We'd go out to churches in rural Arkansas, and one of the guys on the team was black, and and we're just walking along the street one day. And he kind of nudges me, and he says, am I safe here? And I said, what do you mean are you safe here? Of course, it's a little small town. How can you not be safe? He says, well, it's the way people look at me. And that was probably, for me, kind of a little light went on, because I looked around, and they were looking at him. Hmm. And, the, and, and there was clearly some animosity. And I'm thinking, you know, you don't know my friend. This, this is a great guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's when I began to say, okay, there is still out hmm. there. And um, when we, we partnered with a with a church in the city, you know, for a, for a church plant. Um, one of the pastors uh, th- th- of that church, African-American, began coming to Rockport, and he'd bring his dad. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, uh, Kenny's dad would come. And I had some conversations with him, and I just asked him one time, I said, I bet you've seen a lot of stuff, haven't you? And he said, oh, yeah. And he just shared a little bit of things he's been through. So it makes sense to me as I listen to the stories of, you know, uh, people of other ethnicities and what they've been through that there's pain there there's there, there's anger there that's never been dealt with ultimately the answer is Christ and forgiveness but also from the side of my side understanding caring and and, and acknowledging that that there has been injustice and suffering that I can't just I can't just overlook mm-hmm. right and so there, in the current conflict there's sin on both sides big time mm-hmm. there's sin on the side of saying Oh, this is all made up. Let's just get over it. You know, you, saying that to someone who really has suffered. You know, a black friend of mine. I, I've never been. I've been pulled over a few times, but I always did something. Mm-hmm. And I have black friends who've been pulled over multiple times for doing nothing, just being in the wrong place. Well, I get that, right? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, I, at least I understand up here in my head. Yeah. And then there's the sin on the other side of. Well, we, we're going to create this perfect world by squashing everything around us. And, and the way to do that is to destroy and tear down, which is, you know, the critical theories. And, and then, and then well, we'll try to rebuild some utopia, which all, you know, those utopian dreams always end in uh, tyranny somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and so, boy, if I had the answer to this, really, I'd be a, you know, I don't know, running for office or something, writing a book. I haven't heard the term critical theory before so that's like kind of more of a extreme position of like just wanting to scrap everything and start all over well that's that's again a really complex critical theory has been around since the um at least in in my reading since the 60s and 70s and it's got many different manifestations right there's there's critical uh race theory their anti-anti-colonial theory um uh critical gender studies all those things Mm -hmm. and they all are based on a theory that um really going back to, to, to people like Marx who would say every every relationship is one of um, a dominance and oppression. Hmm. And so critical theory begins with the assumption that there's a dominator and, 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 and one being oppressed. Mm-hmm. And then you have to expose that. And that's where you, you know, the, that language itself um, can be oppressive. That's where you get the speech codes and the uh, 
you know, uh, all of these kinds of things. And unfortunately, that you know, those theories exist because they point to some truth, right? There are people mm-hmm. who dominate, and there are people right. who oppress, who are mm-hmm. oppressed. But then they go from there and make that a general law um, that um, colors everything, so that now the whole nation is racist. And uh, what really gets dangerous from a Christian perspective is when a theory like that then is imposed on top of Scripture, and you have to you have to begin reading um, Scripture from that lens. Because anytime you take some lens out here outside of the Bible and impose it over the Bible, you're you're you are now by definition misreading it, right. you know, and going stray. Right. I'm reading a book um, on dialogue, mm-hmm. so it was. It's this system that was produced by a nonprofit organization called Essential Partners. Hmm. And a college professor, I first heard about it through a podcast. A college professor was using it in her class. I forgot what her class was even. But it, it's kind of interesting to me. It's, uh, there's a facilitator, and then there's the, the groups of people, and they're representing two different sides of a just really messy divide. A divisive issue and they um, agree on certain rules that mm-hmm. will conduct them throughout the um, dialogue and and then it's really structured at the beginning like here's the first question we're going to have everyone gets three minutes you know mm. and it's um, the purpose of it is not to convince or or solve anything but it's more of um, gaining mutual understanding, and then reducing some of the stereotypes that people might have of the other side. Sure. And anyway, it's just interesting. It, it seems like it's kind of what we need in um, at this time, um, where things are so polarized, and yeah. we tend to gravitate toward those who um, are align with us, and we don't really hear the other side very well. Yeah, it sounds like you know. Cl- Classic, classical debate, first of all, that's what, how debates took place you know, when they were seeking knowledge. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, yeah, where, where you would sit down for the purpose of getting to know someone who's, who's different from you, not to you know, beat them over the head, but to, to hear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thought even occurred to me that you know, we're kind of connected to a church. You were referring to the church we helped start. And they probably think, um, well, I've talked with Amanda before, you mm-hmm. know, and they their thoughts are probably like on the other side from where ours are from mm-hmm. listening to Amanda. And when I say ours, I'm talking about me and basically the, the people I talk with about mm-hmm. this issue. And, um, well, even St. St. Louis city and Jefferson County. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like it, we kind of have an opportunity to perhaps to come together in some way, um, and have some kind of a dialogue type of thing. Yeah, and this is really hard right now, right? Because nobody's listening. As you've already said, people are in their own little echo chambers. Mm-hmm. And, then, and even things like Facebook help us with that because they right. sort of craft your experience around what you like. Right. And so you're getting one experience and your friend over here is getting a completely different experience and you're both pointing at each other saying, well, why can't you see it the way it really is? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it comes back right because in, in Christ, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. And and we're, we're we're commanded to to listen, right? Slow to speak, quick to hear, right? And there's just not a lot of that, right? Well, um, another thing I was kind of bring up, and I don't know, you know, we've talked before, so I don't know if I've brought this up before and talked with you about it, but something I've been thinking about is the gospel of the kingdom um, compared to like maybe the gospel of personal reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And when I hear the gospel uh, from Christians and so forth, it seems to be more of a personal type of thing, or that's the emphasis anyway. Mm-hmm. But like at the beginning of the gospels, for example, Mark, um, when you see um, Jesus go out and, um, you know, he's going out and he's, He's a, a proclaimer, a, a preacher, um, out in public, and his message is um, something along the lines of, you know, the kingdom of God has uh, drawn near, it's at hand, so repent and 
believe in the the good news. So it's mm-hmm. a proclamation, and and then the the parables they're centered on the kingdom, and and then of course at the end of Matthew, all authority's been given to him. He becomes king of the world, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and then even after um, his resurrection, you know, what does he? Acts chapter one. What does he spend time? talking with people mm-hmm. about his disciples you know it's about the kingdom so it, it seems to be such a strong emphasis and it seems to be more of the heart of what the gospel really is you know it, or that's what I'm the, the way I kind of see it or think about it and it seems like um, maybe it should be more of an emphasis when the gospel is being proclaimed because if the gospel we're proclaiming is about um, just personal reconciliation. It's almost like, well, we get that taken care of, care of, and then we can um, go on with our life, perhaps. But if what the real treasure is is God Himself and being a part in that relationship with Him, that kingdom relationship, then um, of course there's going to need to be reconciliation for that. To happen, but who's going to want that um, except for those who really have desire for for God? So it's almost like a different um, goal that's being Hmm. put up or a different treasure that's being offered. Um, So do you have any thoughts about that? Well, sure. Um, Yeah, a lot of thoughts, and so I have to kind of narrow them down. I don't see, well, first of all, what you're describing as the um, gospel of reconciliation. Of course, it is the gospel of reconciliation. It's called that again. It places again and again. Um, What I think happens is that in our American individualism, we filter that down so we only see it as that. You know, and especially in modern evangelicalism, we've viewed it merely as the salvation experience and go on from there. Um, But... The only way we can have a relationship with God and enter into his kingdom, you know, is by grace through faith in Christ. We ourselves must be reconciled to God, as Paul says in, you know, 1 Corinthians 5. Um, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5. You know, be reconciled to God. Is that first or second? There's my brain. Anyway, um, so, but we are recon- when we are reconciled to God through faith in Christ, and we must do that individually, but not individualistically because we're reconciled into a relationship Right. First of all, a relationship with God. Uh, John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So we're reconciled into a relationship with God, mm-hmm. and we're reconciled into a relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, the central place of the church, um, uh, which is both locally, the, the believers that we assemble with regularly and are committed to, and universally, uh, the, the, the overall uh, body of those redeemed by Christ. And I guess um, in the New Testament, the main, when they're talking about being reconciliation with one another, they're t- kind of talking about the insiders, the Jews, and the outsiders, the Gentiles, like there's all one now. Is that basically the biblical perspective? Right. And, and, and of course, that's Ephesians 2. But beyond that, Jews and Gentiles, it's the reconciliation of all of us, right? The, the tearing down the dividing walls of hostility uh, between all of us. So even back to the racial issue, right? I should have more in common with my black inner city brother because of Christ than I do with my uh, with my white suburban neighbor uh, outside of Christ because we've both been reconciled to Christ and therefore to one another. Mm-hmm. And now we got to work that out. We're already one by the by the by the proclamation of our King. Now we got to work out how we do that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the question is, what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is uh, Christ reigning and ruling over His assembled people whom he is continuing to make one and will make one um, uh, according to this, this, this calling that we have. And it's not a, and even it's not a something that we build. We don't build the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, he says it is the Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Well, that's by grace through faith through the proclamation of the gospel. And so the gospel uh, initially first does, you know, assert Jesus' sovereign rights and call us to him by grace through faith. And then it continues uh, to call us to this, this life with Christ at the center, uh, where now, in obedience to the gospel, we are 
you know, uh, uh, living out more and more of those two great commands, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor at yourself. Not to be reconciled, but because we are reconciled. Mm-hmm. And part of that reconciliation is we're sons and daughters, you know, to, to all who believed in him to give the right to become children of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now now we have, we have to begin living that out according to his commands. But I don't think we can pit those two against each other. I think, I think there's a particular American unbalance that has made it purely individualistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it's, but the answer is not to remove that and then go to purely a the larger picture it's the both and right we have to i'm brought in so i have to be brought in personally mm-hmm. right and then having been brought in i'm a part of his kingdom i've got a king and i've mm-hmm. got to live in this kingdom under the under the rule of the king mm-hmm. and be one of his ambassadors uh proclaiming that kingdom uh to the to the ends of the world both to my neighbor across the street and to um the the kingdoms of this world uh that they would hear resp- repent and believe and become a part of uh, of his acknowledged kingdom, if that makes sense. Yeah. I guess it's, maybe it's a little bit of a matter of emphasis. Like, um, what what's being offered? Well, is it is the the treasure, what's being offered? Is it um, knowing God, being his subject, having that love relationship with him? And um, then, of course, reconciliation has to take place. Or is... Um, you know, what being offered is just uh, not going to hell because you've got your sins forgiven. You know, right? And but, see, what I want to say is yes, yeah, both and. Except right. you use that word just. Right? Yeah. And so the gospel has never been about just right. not going to hell because your sins are forgiven. Right. Nor has it ever been about just building this community. Right. Right. This community is not going to happen until I've been, I have been reconciled to God and to my brother through the gospel, you know, laying down my arms, submitting to him as king. Right. Uh, and I can't even do that on my own. I've got to have the new heart. Jesus says, you know, you must have this spiritual rebirth. Yeah. Um, and then that new heart, because I love Jesus, First John says, I'm going to love you. Mm-hmm. Even if you irritate me or I irritate you, now we got to work this thing out, right? Because I can't, how can I love God whom I've not seen if I can't love my brother whom I have seen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that reconcil- the, 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 the initial justification mm-hmm. part of reconciliation is instantaneous, the moment I trust Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then that ongoing work of reconciliation, which we would call sanctification, growing up in that is lifelong mm-hmm. and not completed until heaven. The growing up in it, like, um, yeah, like being as his workmanship, being yeah. growing, you know, as he trains us, shapes us. And, and, and both inwardly and outwardly, right? Both in personal holiness mm-hmm. and in um, good works. Yeah. Right? And, and, and like Luther was so good at saying, those good works aren't just a matter of what I do down in my prayer closet, you know, for God. Yeah. As, as, as the monks in his day would have thought. But what I'm doing out of that new life to my neighbor, you know, Luther in his pithy way said, uh, you know, God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. Yeah. Now, just in, um, but the monks, you know, they were um, workers, producers, or some sects of them, right? Weren't they contributing to things in in some way and involved? Right, right. Of course, remember Luther lived at that point in the Middle Ages where many of the good things that were taking place in some of the, uh, those monastic communities had devolved, you know, and they were Mm -hmm. all about... I go into that. I go back into my little corner to save my soul by doing all these things, and it's all I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was Luther's experience. Mm-hmm. When do you feel um, most connected to God, or mm-hmm. feel uh, satisfied to Him? Is it when you're um, kind of alone in your prayer closet, so to speak, mm-hmm. or is it when you're out, uh, hands-on, or is it at some other time? Or yeah, and I guess I'm going to be a continue to be a both-and guy because mm-hmm. as I look over. Uh, you know, so so yes, I do. I highly prize a daily time in the Word. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm I'm always pushing that on people because I I need that I need that daily reorientation to Christ because I'm so prone to go astray mm-hmm. and my mind wanders and gets filled with nonsense and sin. And so, um, in, in those times of, of Word and prayer coming together, um, 
I, I, I will often, you know, you say feel, right? Feel close to God there. Feelings are, you know, squishy things. But, but yes, there's many times that takes place. And when I am out and I'm busy doing something and I, and I just suddenly will have the perception, maybe not suddenly, but, but I'll have the perception that God is using this. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I remember sometimes uh, traveling in Romania with heart cry being absolutely bone tired because we're getting four and five hours sleep and we're going from place to place and just having this overwhelming sense of satisfaction of, of the privilege of going and declaring him and meeting these brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them um, you know or you know sometime when you've, you've had the opportunity uh, to, to counsel someone you know and they get it you know, hmm. and you see the light come on. Mm-hmm. You know, I've you know I've been in a situation with you know some young Christian comes in and they've sinned this sin and they think it's all over and Christ you know doesn't can't possibly love them and and then just to open their eyes to the fact this is what the gospel is about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know you you are forgiven. You you haven't out sinned His mercy, mm-hmm. and so go boldly into His throne with your wretched sin in your hands and and, and say Lord here it is. Mm-hmm. And, and and then trust the promise that you you are forgiven. You yeah. are cleansed, and they'll get up and go. Go live with that, and mm-hmm. when you see that, so, so, so again, it's a both end, right? Um, so probably, and I guess they're connected, right? Because it's that 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 daily time with him that orients me to him, then to 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 see him working later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, as far as trying to get something out of the word, rather than it just being kind of wrote because I've done it like daily for <laughs> all my life pretty much um, it's a little bit helpful for me rather than just kind of reading just kind of stepping back and thinking a little bit um, what is the big story how would I put that you know how would I state that how, what's the, the main idea and just kind of writing about it a little bit and um, that's helpful for me as far as Getting something from the the gospel message mm-hmm. um, that um, kind of is, is going to be impact impactful to me right. emotionally, uh, and, and seeing yeah, seeing that big picture. So seeing all of Scripture um, as it as it is related together, right in the big story, yeah. and of course, which is you know, of course, the, the big the big overarching storyline: creation, fall, uh, redemption consummation you know all those and, and, and how that all tracks out um, I know for me too so it doesn't become rote you know I've, I've talked to our men recently um, and at other times just about also the combining of word and prayer mm-hmm. that we we read the word with prayer and then we pray the word um, and so there's this conversation right I'm hearing God speak in his word and I'm responding to him with prayer and what I didn't have time when I talked to the men was right in the middle of that. What you said is then meditation on that word, mm-hmm. stopping and thinking. Mm-hmm. And some mornings it's a little too rushed to do that. I had a, you know, this morning just happened to be a time when I had a little extra time. Woke up a lot earlier than I planned on it. And um, did, did just doing that, reading something, just, then just sitting back and thinking through. Mm-hmm. Well, what is this saying? How does this fit? How do, what, what's, it, what's, what's this calling me to believe? What's this calling me uh, to do? How's God revealing himself to me here? And how should I respond to that? Mm-hmm. You know, well, mention, speaking of prayer, um, so when I first came to, Bab- for, to Rockport Baptist, that is something um, that kind of made an impression on me when we'd get together in Wednesday night prayer meetings. Mm-hmm. Is, is, um, I would, we would be praying together, and I would uh, get the impression well, that you were um, pretty familiar with prayer, like you seem fervent in your prayer and so forth so what um, I was just giving an example um, yesterday uh, we have this little cat named Lucky and uh, Lucky uh, has a hurt foot right now and she got out um, last night and then it started raining and Johnny is super attached to this cat and he's worried. He's putting on his clothes. He's walking through the neighborhood looking, and he thinks, well, she's either something got her or a neighbor took pity on her and brought her inside. Hmm. But, you know, it, it didn't look good. And um, as I'm getting ready for bed, you know, I like 
for a situation like that, yeah, I kind of think, well, I'll whis- you know, I kind of whisper a prayer or something. It's just really brief. Um, and the idea even uh, came to me, well, you know, should we get together and have like a little prayer meeting for mm-hmm. Lucky? <laughs> yeah. But um, I didn't do that. And sometimes when I um, hesitate, um, I-, I wonder why. Like, do I just not believe that mm. pr- when it, you know, is my faith theoretical? But when it, the rubber really hits the road, um, you know, what's this saying about myself? You know, I don't know. Um, I got up this morning and um, had, you know, just a short time of prayer. And I prayed for Lucky. And Lucky did come back, actually, <laughs> um, which was really exciting. Um, I came upstairs. There she was. And uh, that was me. <laughs> but um, so what's your experience with prayer been like Um What's helped you? Um, can you think of times where God's just moved in some neat ways because of prayer and, mm-hmm. you know, just that type of thing? Sure, yeah. And um, again, viewing prayer as one half of the conversation, right? So taking it back to relationship. Prayer is not a thing I do to get something from God. Mm-hmm. Prayer is a relationship and conversation with God. Um, based on his word, right, that he's as much changing and conforming me as he is responding to my prayers, right? So it's so it's always communal, it's always relational, and I say that as though I always have these wonderful times. I'll, I'll, I'll state for the record that you know I'm not at all the the person of prayer I want to be. You know, I'm, I've grown in it over the years. I, I cherish it. Um, and, and I could I could give you a long list of those areas where I would like to um, to, to grow up in prayer, but um, but yeah, and just like you said, it's you know I not only is there morning you know time of specific prayer on a specific schedule of things that I pray for where I pray through rock you know Rockport and everything, but just through the day breath prayers and things that are laying weighing heavily on my mind and heart, individuals, situations. I had a situation recently where a, a dear brother was going into a difficult conversation, um, <clears throat> one that we expected to just not end well, but he, but, he, but he had to. And we prayed, and I was praying for him the whole day, and then I get a text at the end of the day, hey, it went really well. Hmm. Um, and um, seeing that myself um, in indivi- individual lives, um, seeing him work in, in people's situations, a uh, time when I myself just don't have a clue uh, what to do, you know, kind of like, you know, right now with uh, <laughs> all the decisions we have to make, you know, with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where the culture is with COVID and all those things and just seeking him. And so it's, it, it's always finding him, you know. So if I found him, I've got the real treasure, right? Mm-hmm. And then growing out of that, trusting him for the answer he gives, whether it's this particular one I thought he should give me or a different answer. But then seeing him many times give even the very thing that I've asked for mm-hmm. um, and, and provide it. And um, so, um, I mean, I guess that's a big picture answer rather than specific. Well, what's, little picture. Um, what's your practice for prayer? Like, what? how do you go approach it? What's your routine and so forth? Sure, sure. Um, presently, because it's changed throughout the years, um, I get up early in the morning um, to, uh, to spend time with the Lord. And I, I begin with prayer. And uh, I use different forms. I've even got um, a, a, a book right now of, 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 of Puritan prayers that I'll use. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just one part of it. It kind of orients me to him and, 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 and begins that way. As I begin to read the word, I also will pray and ask the Lord, you know, uh, I've mentioned before the little IOUS I got from John Piper, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, you know, incline my heart to your testimonies, um, unite my heart to fear your name, uh, open my eyes and behold wonderful things from your law, satisfying me in the morning with your steadfast love. I don't always go through that, but that's kind of the Lord I want to, so I'll begin there. And then, um, I guess the formal aspect of my prayer is I have um, prayer lists. So there's some things I pray for every single day, mm-hmm. right? My wife, um, my daughters, my grandchildren. Um, fellow elders, Rockport, um, my own sanctification. And then I've got the seven days of the week broken up. Um, 
on different things. So today's Monday. I prayed for uh, all of my immediate family. Um, well, out to, you know, siblings, Amy's, Amy's siblings, you know, their families. Mm-hmm. Um, for Rockport, you know, having heard the word to apply it, to walk with the Lord this week, that kind of thing. Rockport in a general way. Mm-hmm. Then I've got uh, throughout the week, Rockport's um, and other things broken up day by day. Mm-hmm. So your family, the Jacksons, uh, probably is, that's probably, if I'm remembering right, would be day four or so, mm-hmm. you know. And um, at different times in my life, I've had more detail. I'm kind of trying to figure out how to get, put more detail on that right now. Mm-hmm. But I have everybody's names and all their children and, and all that listed so that I can pray for them and trying to figure out a way to, to, to put more specific prayer needs. Mm-hmm. So there's, the, in the morning, what I would call the formal aspect where I've got a, I've got a routine. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the day, it's kind of that reactive prayer that you mentioned. Um, <clears throat> breath prayers, you know, just a little short, Father, help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go throughout the day, Father, give me wisdom. Uh, you know, someone calls me up and need, Lord, please help me to, to provide wisdom in, in this, you know, uh, praying without ceasing, uh, reacting to situations, you know, that are happening, uh, trying to make my reflex uh, two things to be prayer first. Um, and, and so trying to just keep that conversation going throughout the day, um, you know, and I'm, I, I, I do better some days and worse other days and little things I've got like, uh, when, uh, families send Christmas cards, uh, I've got a little, I've got a board outside my study at home and I put those there or when our graduates, um, send me their little graduation cards with their pictures. I put them on there. Mm-hmm. So I go in and out of that study a lot during, you know, throughout the, out the week. And I try to, as they catch my eyes, pray for them. You know, those graduates that first year, uh, you know, so just little reminders throughout the day when something's weighing heavily on me, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll stop for just times of prayer. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying right now. I've been really bad. I'm, I think you may be like this. I'm not sure. I am bright and ready to go in the morning. Yeah. I am worthless at night. Mm-hmm. And so my praying at night has been pretty pathetic because mm-hmm. I tumble into bed and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm trying I'm right now intentionally trying to incorporate at least a brief time of prayer in my evenings mm-hmm. um, that, that that has not been a part of my pattern. So your list are they manual or digital or right now they're on uh, um, Evernote. Evernote, okay. Mm-hmm. And then when you're praying um, during those structured times are you um, praying out loud or just to yourself or I, I pause because I'm not sure probably both yeah yeah and um, and and I'll, and I'll pray what I try to do is carry over from my scripture reading into that prayer so there's something real specific mm-hmm. that I've read in my scripture reading that I'll try to if I, like, let's say if I'm like, well, Billy and Sarah, I always know to pray for them because they send us their prayer list. But let's say um, Eddie and Misty. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than the fact that she's expecting, mm-hmm. I don't know a whole lot of specifics. If I know a specific, then I'll pray for that. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, just, just bringing something out of my reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this morning in Proverbs, uh, one of those passages about a, you know, the, um, um, having a wife being a good thing and, 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 and a wife being a blessing. Mm-hmm. And had Eddie and, and Misty been on my prayer today, I might, I might have carried that over and just that, that Misty would, first of all, you know, would, would indeed be a blessing to him, but but, the, but then he would see and recognize what a blessing she is mm-hmm. and, and, and treat her. You know, so, so those general things, unless I know specifics. So you mentioned us being, you know, it's when we pray, it's one side of a, a two-way thing. And that we are changed through prayer. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are you referring to? How are we changed through prayer? Well, so I'm praying for something, and God, you know, it, it bumps up against something Scripture says very clearly. So I realize I'm praying selfishly, <laughs> and that turns me. Um, I earnestly want Him to do this, mm-hmm. and He doesn't do it. And so now I'm being taught patience and trust. You know, I think of Abraham. Um, you know, I'm going to give you a child. There's a, there's a clear promise of Scripture, right? But not this year, not the year after that, and not the decade after that. And so God is working on Abraham. I'm sure Abraham's praying for this child. And through that whole process, teaching him patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so going into prayer with the anticipation and willingness to be conformed to him rather than the demand that he conformed to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
but how much time do you do you give to this as far as your structured time? <laughs> Not nearly enough. Um, so my present pattern is now I'm getting up sometime uh, bet- between five thirty and six um, on a good day. Earlier, you know, usually I'm up by six by five fifty or so, five forty five at the latest. <clears throat> and so I get up, have a shower, go down, and uh, begin my begin my quiet time. Um, most days uh, I need to be in the office around eight just to get everything done and so um, I'll carry that time on until about 7.30 um, and then uh, you know oh, time to get, go, go make breakfast uh, listen to Al Mohler on, on, on the briefing while I eat breakfast and yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then get on with the day and so that formal time you know, will last during that. And during that time, I'll do some other things sometimes, uh, you know, like maybe check on Tim Challies and see if he's got any an interesting article to read, you right. know, after my prayer time is finished. Right. And that's also the time when you're reading scripture and stuff too. Right. Right. Well, here's a question I ask a lot of people. Um, what What's, the, for you, what's the source of your confidence in, uh, I guess, first of all, you we could just start with theism since that's not just a given, you know, it seems. Right. Um, is there anything in particular that uh, you look to that is your confidence in, in that? Um, yeah, yeah, I have to anch- I anchor my confidence ultimately in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the existence of God as well. For everything, and then I go For backwards everything. from there, pretty much. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this part. I'm, you know, I was... Um, by the time I was at the end of high school, I was sort of at the point of on the cusp between atheism and Christianity. Okay. In fact, part of my conversion was um, that realization because I've been going to church because there were girls there and all that kind of stuff. And but, but 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 my faith was you know very distant intellectually. It wasn't a real faith at that point. And it, it came home to me one night: Jesus is either who he said he was or he's not. Um, if he if he's not then I'm a fool to even toy with this. Christianity is either is a lie and should be abandoned or opposed. Or, if he is who he claims to be, then I'm a fool if I don't bow the knee and, and, and surrender everything to him because he says he's Lord. And I, I wavered there for a while and then came home, you know, to that point where he is who he says he is. And so, on my worst days, I can doubt a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I can doubt me. I can doubt my sanity. I can doubt. Um, I, I can doubt. The, I can doubt the scriptures. I can doubt. You know the existence of God. The one I always come back to is is Christ, uh, crucified and risen again. Um, who who is He? And so um, there's both the uh, the apologetic historical aspect of you know the, of the resurrection, uh, but there's also is the subjective aspect, uh, the personal aspect of of encountering Him and the change that He's had. You know, and so I don't separate those. I mean, I do separate them, but I don't. I think the objective is there and very important. Without it, the, the subjective is worthless. Uh, but I don't think the I don't think it's devoid of the subjective either, <laughs> right? Standing upon the objective reality of who he is, um, I have the I have the subjective experience of him. Mm-hmm. And so, but ultimately, it, comes, it always comes back to Christ for me. Okay. Yeah, I, I was. Um reading uh, from Alvin Plantinga. Are mm-hmm. you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, he talks about how um, there's positive apologetics for the existence of God, mm-hmm. and then there's the apologetics that is more kind of giving a def- defense from, you know, accusations that atheists might have. And he kind of sees them as more um, valuable because Christians can be troubled when someone attacks their, their mm-hmm. faith, and they... How do I answer this? You know, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a case against this, but um, helping people get through that can be helpful. But as far as like a, an argument for God and like someone starting that and from that place, and this is why to believe in God, uh, there are those types of arguments. But he says um, he doesn't think that is what gives that is not sufficient to give the confidence. That people need because you can you can always be wrong. There can be a different argument, a better argument, but it does seem to be um, some kind of like an inner type of um, witness. And um, 
Well, he ultimately, of course, as, as, as a Christian, I would say ultimately, that goes back to the to effectual calling, right, new birth, all those things, the opening of the eyes. But you're right, yeah, the, even the, cl- the classical arguments for God that people go to mm-hmm. um, can, can bolster reasons for the faith, mm-hmm. but they can't. They're, they're not the, the kind of persuasive that can um, prove to you, Mr. Atheist, that God exists. I can give you good reasons to believe he is, right. but, but I can't. You know, I can't prove it in the sense of uh, giving the airtight argument that I can give for the existence of the hydrogen atom. Right. Right. It's a different type of thing. Right. And I think that desire also comes into play here. Like if you, if the God that's described in the Bible, like you are compelled by that God, you long for that God, then that's really a reason to put your hope there Mm -hmm. and um, and go in that direction um, compared to like if that God repulsed you and you mm-hmm. didn't desire it, then like why would you? <laughs> well, people also have a lot of reasons for unbelief. Uh, you know, Francis Schaeffer talks about how you know, situations where he would, you know, because he, he was brilliant, and you know, he would back somebody into a corner and they would say, okay, I agree with your arguments. You know, mm-hmm. God must exist. Well, then will you believe? No. Why will you not believe? Because my life would have to change. And I like my life the way it is. Mm-hmm. I don't need this God telling me what to do. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like you said, there's not like these airtight scientific type of arguments. So there's there's a way out for people if that's not the direction they want to go in, I suppose. Sure. And I can, I can give you the arguments, and they, they, they certainly seem persuasive to me. Yeah. But ultimately, where I always want to go with someone is, is back to Christ. You know, you have to climb over him. And, um, oh, sure, you can just you can dismiss something like the resurrection just based on the principle that resurrections don't happen. But all you've done there is saved your conscience because you've you've assumed they can't happen. Therefore, it could not have happened. Therefore, I don't have to think about this. Mm-hmm. Right. What are your thoughts about the way Christians gather together, the way we do church, so to speak? Mm-hmm. If um, this is a little um, odd, just asking you because you're a leader. So I, I figure, like, if you would like it to be differently, you would lead in that direction. Sure. But um, is, is it all just, is it pretty much how you think it ought to be? Or would you like if uh, we could, as Christians, could do church in some different way? Mm. Is there um, something that comes to mind that, that appeals to you? Of course, that's something that um, we discussed and have discussed in elders' meetings and, and are always trying to think through, right? Because um, there are a couple of answers to that question. Um, first of all, you know, we are commanded to do life together, and that's one aspect. Mm-hmm. So the life that we live together after the meeting uh, is, is one thing, and we're always trying to work with that. Then there is the reality that we are commanded to meet together mm-hmm. and that there's this life together. We're commanded to come together in his name. We're commanded specifically to, 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 to sing and make melody in our hearts to God, uh, to encourage each other. We're commanded specifically um, to, um, to, 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 to hear the word and proclaim the word. Uh, we're commanded specifically to pray together, uh, and we're commanded specifically to um, um, other aspects. I'm trying to... Uh, think on the fly here. But but there are certain things we are commanded to do together as we meet. Um, how that form looked exactly in the first century, obviously it didn't look exactly like us. They didn't have buildings. You know, they had, uh, and so there, there were different aspects that, that, so that there's been differences through history. Um, but we have to find a way to do those things that we are commanded to do as part of worship. Also, uh, on top of that, to exercise church discipline. Uh, to 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 be to be to be led by elders and served by deacons. Those are all things that are real clear, or pastors, if you want to call them pastors and deacons, and um, and so some way of gathering together so they know the sheep and the sheep know them. They're able to exercise both formative discipline, the positive type instruction, and corrective discipline. Um, and so, boiling all that down, um, that's what we are attempting to do when we gather together. And this is. You know, given our culture, our time, where we are, and our understanding, uh, this is the best way, as we see it, to, to do that. Um, if there were ways to do those same things um, differently, let's say we were suddenly in a Chinese situation where um, we're, we're, we're not able to meet together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then the form would have to change. Or COVID, where we're not able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, of course, fortunately, that's a temporary one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but even there, look at the chaos it's made. Look how people disagree with it, right? You know, because uh, we, we, we like our forms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so here's an example. Sunday school. Where in Scripture are we commanded to have Sunday school? I don't think there's, uh, like, Sunday school's not mentioned. Right. So, so that is a, a matter of prudent wisdom. Is it good to get together and teach the Word? Is it good together to discuss the Word? Is Sunday school a good form we can use to accomplish one of the goals? Sure. But if we were forced to do without it, have we sinned and are we doing wrong? No. Right? right. It doesn't mean we should do away with it and not replace it with something. You know? Um, but teaching is important, like people exercising the gift of teaching. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and so finding ways for that, you know, so 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 D groups is is, is a way to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but but again, if we were in China, you know, we can't meet together, and we we would have to be in, broken into cell groups, mm-hmm. and we'd have to rethink how we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so you have so you have situations here in the states where uh, there are churches, people I love, so I want to I want I want to speak you know, respectfully, but um, who have the multi site churches where you have you know. These five churches are really just one church, but they meet in different locations with different pastors, and we're piping the sermon in. I mean, so personally, I couldn't do it that way because I don't see that as five expressions of one church. I see that as five congregations, and the elders on site in this particular place um, are the ones giving care and instruction there. And let sure, let's be connected closely, and let's ha- let's have our, our common fellowship. That's wonderful, but mm-hmm. for myself. I wouldn't break that up. We're currently meeting in two services because um, we thought we needed to do that for the sake, especially of those who are more vulnerable to the virus. Mm-hmm. That's a temporary situation because many churches have multiple services. Convictionally, we would not do that long term because the concern is those are two separate congregations. You know, and right. so right now it's a matter of prudent wisdom. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I've expressed to the to the earlier group, it, it, this won't continue. Um, because we do believe there's the benefit of, of being one body, and if we've outgrown our building, then let's plant another church, you know, over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so, so we have this mix of here are the clear commands we have to satisfy in obedience to Christ. And then, based on prudent wisdom and the resources we have, how should we do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like it, there'd be nice, it'd be nice if there's a way... Where there was more interaction among people, mm-hmm. like right now, there's a good amount of interaction, but it's kind of unstructured. It's like people hang it lingering around afterwards, right. you know, which is good, you know, and I'm glad that, that we have that. And a healthy aspect of Rockport's life has been that that fellowship, right? Something I would, because yeah. I've been in places where you say amen and the place just, it, there's a vacuum right. and everybody runs out and I think, but there's not much life here. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but yes, interaction. You know, I, I had a conversation with one of our brothers this past week, right after our men's breakfast, thinking about our young people. You know, how do we better challenge these late teens, early twenties, um, with 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 integrating the faith that they hold in their their minds and hearts, hopefully, into their life. And that's not going to happen by just a monodirectional class, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so how do we? How do we get to that dialogue? How do we hear? I've got a, got a child in mind right now. How do I hear her question? A child, she's a young adult. How mm-hmm. do I hear her questions? What's she really struggling with? Right. Right, yeah. That's important, it seems. And, and, and so D groups are one step in that direction. It's one reason we yeah. want to go ahead, you know, even in the place we are right now, to get them going for those who are willing to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, to, because, and, and, and trying to restructure those. They, even, even those had become too monodirectional. Just, it. It's very natural. You've got a you've got a teacher or a leader. You know they prepare. They're ready to teach. And and so one thing I'm really trying to emphasize to our leaders this time around is um, help your group come prepared themselves mm-hmm. and lead in terms of let's let's walk through this passage together and let's let's discuss and let's hear questions because uh, and let, let's talk think about how to apply this. Mm-hmm. You know that so that's one way um, small group of men or women getting together in discipleship is good. Right. Right. And that's something that's hard, right? We've tried many times to say to our men, Hey, we'll help you get groups together. Mm-hmm. And as you know, most of our men, especially like where we are in, in just that middle to lower middle class, 
especially with you know like you and men with uh, you know you know you've been self-employed so that helps right but but I think of our men who have several children at the, in the home and they're working and the wife is staying at home these guys are busy mm-hmm. and even when they value getting together sometimes that time's not there and, and teaching them what it means to to prioritize that time without taking away also from their families right that's hard yeah <laughs> something um, you might be familiar with this but I think it may have got its start in Central Pre- Central Presbyterian uh, Pres- the church in St. Louis um, there's these groups of they're men but it, it could be women or children or whoever but um, they meet in groups of four and they go through this particular book it's called Discipleship Essentials by Greg Oden I believe so Mm. it's just like a basic discipleship book Mm -hmm. that's kind of set up in a discussion type of format and it takes a couple of years to go through it not that it's a huge book but it's just breaking breaking down and each chapter is breaking into group uh, sections and the emphasis is on discussion. But the, my brother's been involved with it for a few years. And the idea is that at the end, when your group can, uh, completes it, your group breaks up. And each member finds three other men. And then that group of one becomes a group of four. And then they go through it again. And then that breaks up and it multiplies. And there's a lot of people doing this now. It's just has grown. So um, I started doing this um, here in, in my neighborhood. So um, the, um, the people who do it in St. Louis, um, they have different places that they meet, but normally like a big group of men meet somewhere, and then they break up into little groups of four in that area, and then they stay in the, those groups of four um, for you know a couple years it takes to get through it. But um, I didn't really want to drive into St. Louis, so right. I, I was just looking for... First, I was just looking for people at Rockport. I didn't have anyone take me up on it because, as you can imagine, you know, when you mentioned two-year commitment. (laughs) But um, I did have people take me up on it in my neighborhood, which is uh, was kind of neat, I thought. So yeah, um, we were a group of four. One guy dropped out. Now we're a group of three. We've been in it for a little over a year and a half. And it's just getting good as far as, like, the familiarity with one another. And we're not of the same denomination. One guy's Roman Catholic, one guy's Lutheran, and um, and that those differences kind of come up from time to time. Sure, that'd be interesting when we do things. But um, it's not like a substitute for church, but it's no. a way to um, connect with people and interact and. Um, yeah, and to kind of share the Christian faith with other people. No, that's good. I, 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 I love those things, and the and the, the other elders and I are always looking for things like that. What, what, what could help with this? Right. And um, yeah, um, some of the men I serve with on a on, on a Gaining Christ board have been involved in in similar things with other studies. Okay. You know, in the course, our, our friend Brig, you know, his. Um, I, he hasn't, where they've gone on to break into other groups. But that's his. That's been his approach all along. Is the, these studies where they get together and they study the word together, and, and here's the questions, and be ready, and groups of yeah. men like that. Yeah, I think there's some business Christian businessmen groups, or at least I know of one pretty big one in St. Louis. Right. I think they're nationwide, but you know we have our St. Louis version of it. Sure. And uh, sounds pretty good. What? Yeah, going those are on. good. That's a big part of his ministry. Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, how are you, um, in your life, is there any particular area that you're like wanting to grow in or, you know, that you're just, that's currently what you're going through and you're wanting to see yourself on the other end, you know, different in somehow or? Sure, sure. That's always true. Um, so I, I want to continue to grow in prayer. I want to continue to grow in um, just in consistency of discipleship, you know, myself and holiness. Um, I want to uh, grow. Um, I want to grow up in this grand grandfather thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I really appreciated Larry McCall when he was with us a couple of weeks, a couple months ago now, and uh, his book "Grandparenting by Grace" has been really good and just, you know, showed me some really wonderful things. You know, and I'm not finished with that book, but it was so good. I bought a case and I've been handing them out. I gave one to your wife yesterday, you know, <laughs> handing them out to uh, just our grandparents 
It, it's it's short. It's it's really good. You know, for a lot of us, it'll just be reminders. Mm-hmm. But uh, just just a lot of really good wisdom. And so, yeah. wanting to grow up in that, right? Because I know with my grandkids right now, I'm I, I I'm the chief playmate, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not you know doing the discipline so much yeah. and all of those things. But but I do want to be more intentional in mm-hmm. in shaping their souls as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, you know, those, those are areas I'm, I'm always wanting to grow as a pastor, um, what it means to shepherd and to care for people. Um, I think dispositionally, my tendency is I'm really happy in a, in, in a, in, in, in a, in a cave with my books and I'm studying and, mm-hmm. and I could just give myself, I could be, a, if they'd let me take my wife, I could be a good monk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yet ministry and Christian life are not called to be lived that way. So always... Mm-hmm. You know, growing in in that outward aspect too. So those are just some areas. Yeah, you know, you're talking about your own personal discipleship. Um, is there like a, a mentor involved in that, or is it mainly just through books and your own time in the, the Word and so forth? There are colleagues and friends. Okay. I see. Uh, it's been a long time since I would have what I would have called a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been men who fit that bill in my life, not as consistently as I would like, but men I'm grateful to who helped right. me. But no, at this point, um, it's it's more um, more colleagues, okay, and then and then good books and discussion, and and of course, one of the wonderful things about plural um, plural leadership in a church, mm-hmm. and as opposed to the days when I was solo pastor, is you, you get that. So so these two guys influenced me and helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, they they talked me down. You know, where just here's something that I thought that I thought we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And had I been solo pastor, or I needed it wasn't we, but I needed to do. And I thought as solo pastor, I probably would have done that. And both of them said, you know, it's a good idea. I see where you're going there, but have you thought about this? And maybe that's not the wisest course. Mm-hmm. And I could look yeah. at it and say, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cool. Any area that um, you think uh, the church, us as a church, you'd like to see growth in any anything in, in particular? I know you, in general growth, sure. But. Sure. Um well, we're back to growth in prayer. Yeah. Right? Um, with people's busy lives, um, we theoretically value prayer, but we don't practice a value of corporate prayer, mm-hmm. uh, which you mentioned earlier, right? And so, you know, throughout this summer when we haven't had D groups, the elders have been committed, we're going to get together and we'll pray. And, um, you know, so whether there's two of us or 20 of us or, you know, whatever, but but, but so growth in prayer. Um Growth in intentional outreach and missions. Uh, the last couple of years, just all these things going on. Those have those have been assumptions in the background, um, but not um, not foregrounded passions that they need to be. Um, and the what we mentioned here, the, the training and um, discipling of, of men and young people. Mm-hmm. And, and how we do that more intentionally and specifically, I would like to, you know, those are things we're wanting, we're wanting to see. Right. So let's, let's get this era behind us. Let's get back to our, you know, as soon as we can, our regular, well, I say our regular structures. You know, one, one thing COVID has presented us is this wonderful opportunity to say what should be restored and what shouldn't. Right. You know, what, what do we, what, what were we doing that we really need to do, keep doing, and what could just sort of pass away? <laughs> right. So those are some of the things we're trying to ask. Right. Well, yeah. Is there anything um, else that you'd like to bring up before we just wrap up? Um, nothing like just leaps to mind. Yeah. But I appreciate it. You know, you you, you do a good job. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I appreciate you taking the time for it. So okay. Well, thanks, Scott. All right. Thank you, Will. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.